Hi, Marluz. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Uh, your name is Marluz Vanson. I pronounce it okay? Yeah, 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 that's correct. And uh, you come from? I'm originally from the Netherlands and have been living in Finland for uh, eight years now. More even, eight and a half, I think. Eight and a half. I think yes. we must have come around the same time because I think I, so. I'm also here about eight and a half years yeah. now. Yeah, we started studying in the same year, I think, in uh, 2014. Yeah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> it was just different programs, so yes. that's why I, I didn't know and, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we were at the same introduction, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So what did you study? Uh, I studied uh, visual culture, contemporary art at uh, Aalto University. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was also in Aalto, but a different program. I was in the media lab. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. So, but uh, let's get back to before that. Yes, uh, I uh, uh, studied my bachelor's in the Netherlands. Uh, the program was called Art Science, uh, and it was this program in between the uh, art school and the music school in The Hague uh, that I followed. And I more or less specialized in uh, in installation building with electronics uh, there. Um, it was a really nice, really small program. Uh, I learned a huge amount of stuff. Um, and I started that program immediately from high school. So I was quite a young art student there. Isn't that what people usually do, like go there after high school or uh, they go later? Depends a bit on the program, I think. But I was one of the younger people in that program. Most people already had uh, at least a couple of years of something else before that. Oh, interesting. And what did you study before that? What was your high school? Was it also like art related or? No, it's just a general high school. Like, uh, yeah. Nothing. And how did you decide to go into that? It sounds so specific. Um, yeah, I uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after um, high school. I knew I wanted to do something that combined uh, some kind of knowledge or research based something with making. So I didn't really want to have a pure university studies or uh, yeah, some kind of research based thing. I really wanted to have something practical in there so i started looking around and i thought about industrial design and then i went to some open days of some art schools and i found this program which sounded kind of perfect because it was called art science so it had this art and science component in the name like maybe in practice it's not so much science but more about a sort of multidisciplinary approach but the sort of uh, research and inventor uh, aspect was very much present so yeah it was very much about developing tools to make things with or building something to create a, a, an experience or installation or something new with. And that's what really attracted me. So I applied and surprisingly, they, uh, yeah, I got admitted on the first go. Well, surprisingly, you're very good with uh, what you do. Yeah, but I <laughs> didn't really have uh, a very impressive portfolio or uh, uh, yeah, I had ideas, but I didn't really have a lot to show it because I was just in high school. So I don't know, I did my art class and my high school art projects and then some some extra things. But yeah, I didn't really feel like I had like a hugely impressive uh, work base or something. And um, that was a bachelor program and then yeah. you came here for the master's. Yeah, yeah, I did a, I had a year in between where I did some kind of, yeah, I did an artist residency and some projects with some people and then I decided to do a master's here. 
How did you decide exactly here? Uh, yeah, it was a very random choice, kind of. I um, was looking at different art programs and mainly at these kind of interdisciplinary uh, art programs. Um, there are not that many uh, schools that really offer this interdisciplinary approach as a focus point, I felt, when I was looking around and applying. I knew I wanted to stay somewhere within Europe um, and I really wanted to study abroad because I didn't do an exchange or anything because I felt that that was too short to really get to know a place or really get to do something in a place. So then uh, a master seemed kind of like the, the nice choice to live abroad for a while and connect to a place and uh, yeah, have some new experiences. So and I was, yeah. I how, was, how did you go? Into, uh, how did you go in, in the in the Vika pro program? Because it sounds more like the media lab that you should have gone for. <laughs> That's the one who's supposed to be more interdisciplinary. Uh, and, uh, yes you? and no, in different ways. Because the Vika program really presented it itself as this program that uh, was, um, yeah, combining some kind of. Uh, uh, conceptual and practical approach. And I felt that I already had uh, quite a good grasp of sort of the, the technical side and the media side and the electronics and sound side of things. So I wanted to maybe more extend the mm -hmm. uh, conceptual side of my work. Right. And at the same time, I think I found the Vika program and I didn't really find the Media Lab program for some reason oh. um, <laughs> when I was looking around. So it was, yeah. A, Weird coincidence, maybe. It was a good choice, though, in the end, I think, because I did the Vika program and I did get much more of a grasp on the conceptual side of my work. Um, it was meant then, to be that one. <laughs> yeah, and then I did follow a lot of courses at Media Lab and at the Sound and New Media program, where I sort of, yeah, got some new skills and also a connection to that side. So, yeah, I have no regrets. <laughs> nice, nice. And did you get support from, from your family when you decided to be, okay, I'm going to be an artist now? They've always supported it uh, because, yeah, they, yeah, they have my, um, yeah, they have their own backgrounds as well. Of course, my my dad was educated as a physicist and works, uh, yeah, on ship design and uh, tech like mechanical propulsion for ships. And my mom uh, worked as a uh, well was educated as a arts teacher, I think would be like it's a more specific uh, role but it's kind of like but it's, education yeah, it's, as an arts teacher there, so. uh, she didn't work as an art teacher but then became a, a furniture upholster so uh yeah <laughs> kind of a, the practical side and the the technical side combined from my background as well and i have uh, some musicians and art related people in my family as well so it's not like i took a really mm. uh yeah yeah giant leap from there um, so they they supported it from the beginning, and especially since it was this kind of combination of some kind of arts and tech thing that seemed to, yeah, not not be such a kind of yeah, insecure it, it, position or something. It like doesn't sound like too impractical thing. Yeah, like there's a there's a, a practical side and sort of a more applied side to the things that I was doing. So not that that was necessary or anything, but maybe that's what they never really questioned it or something. And I think they also saw that I was very driven to do the thing. And I think if you have a certain amount of drive, then you will make it work somehow, I yeah. guess. 
Or at least they couldn't stop you if you decide. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but uh, I didn't really feel like they, yeah, yeah. they had doubts in that sense. Yeah. So what kind of work do you actually do? We haven't really... Uh, yeah, we didn't really explain. talk about that yet. <laughs> um, so I work a lot with uh, combinations of woodwork, electronics and sound uh, in... They have lots of different varieties. So I build sound installations uh, that people can interact with. Uh, sometimes they're more like uh, um, instruments that you can play and sometimes they're more like uh, sort of spatial installations that sometimes react to people's presence or uh, some more light-based stuff. I also build electronic instruments that I perform with. Uh, sometimes I also build electronic objects for other people, uh, mostly for theater-based production, so kind of more electronic prop design, uh, functional prop design. And then I do some sound related work so i've done some short soundtracks for uh short films um have composed some uh, uh tracks uh have yeah made music composed my own music and performed that yeah it's a whole list of varied things <laughs> but yeah it's always the combination of sound electronics and woodwork how did you choose woodwork i guess that's a family related thing like my uh, from your mom perhaps yeah and dad also like they uh, they are people that also love building things and making things so there's a lot of self-made stuff in my house and we used to make the joke that uh yeah that we would just build it if we'd need it uh which is not necessarily entirely true but yes a lot of stuff was self-made or sort of self-modified uh so there was like a a large amount of tools were always present in the house. Um, so building was kind of a natural part of the process. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy working with wood. There's something really nice about uh, the texture of the material, first of all, and sort of you can build very complicated things with very minimal tools, um, which I yeah very much appreciate. Yeah, it's 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 somewhere in the middle. It's not very soft like a textile would yeah. be, but it's not very hard like a stone. So you, you can still make something that you would want. Yeah, yeah, and you construct very big things, but also very small and detailed things with the same material, which is something I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and then you are in the land of uh, wood making generally. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Finland has definitely. Uh, uh, it has a lot. Yeah, of... emphasized my aesthetics. Let's say <laughs> like certain woodwork design qualities that are omnipresent here have definitely found their way in my work as well. Yeah, and uh, and your your works, I mean, we are going to show after some of them. They definitely have a specific aesthetic. It's not just uh, you build boxes for your no. instruments. They, they are more than that. Yeah, no, I, I have like some very uh, thorough ideas on how I want things to look and how I design things and, and no what, square what boxes. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What are you working on right now? I just finished an installation, uh, the one that's behind us with chairs, with uh, sort of, yeah, synthesizer sample players uh, embedded in them. And the idea is that that's going to become a series of uh, communicating furniture, uh, let's say. So I'm working on a, a sort of bench table combination and uh, a kind of a, a viewing box television parody type thing uh so i'll have the chairs i'll have the the bench i'll have the 
television-like object. Hopefully there will also be like a drawer and a cupboard and the... Yeah. And then Both. you just need a bed and that, that, that's it. You yeah, then the I can whole... fill my whole house with talking <laughs> furniture. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. Are you making it for a specific project or is it... Like, do you have something coming up after? I have a lot of applications open, so I'm hoping that I will have a, an exhibition within a year with these objects or with some of these objects. Uh, I'm going to have a, an artist residency in October uh, in Czech Republic, uh, where I'm going to uh, present a version of one of these objects. Like I'm going to prepare the electronics and bring them there and then embed them in some kind of piece of furniture that I find there. And then it's going to be exhibited there. Yeah, but uh, I don't have any big uh, presentation moments confirmed yet. Yeah, so uh, where in the Czech Republic are you going to have this residency? It's some small village, uh, I think 50 kilometers from Prague. It's called uh, Farmhouse Studios, uh, and they organize these uh, exhibitions twice a year. And then before the exhibition, they have a residency of about two weeks where you work with a group of about 10 artists on site and then uh, yeah, get to present in the exhibition afterwards. How do you find your residencies? You just find open calls and apply? Mostly, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of open calls and then sometimes th uh, through friends that share uh, some kind of uh, thing that they think is relevant for me or some newsletters that I'm signed into uh, that I find some things. Um, but yeah, it's mostly online, just things that I stumble upon. What amount of time would you say, like how many percent of your time goes into this type of uh, computer work looking for open calls and applying? And... Uh, it depends a lot uh, on the time of year. I'd say, I guess like all the administration and application works, maybe 40% of the time. 40. Oof. It's a lot uh, because it's not just the applications, but it's also like finding the, the information sort of staying up to date on things that are happening uh, uh, administration like scanning and the receipts and putting them in an excel file and things like that yeah <laughs> like the whole thing it's more yeah. than i'd like to and also i'm a very slow uh, email writer so i guess i also count that in like replying all the emails and all the communication stuff is uh also part of that i'd say Do, would you trust uh, an ai to write your emails for you I don't know. I think that could be pretty good because my emails are rather uh, impersonal and concise usually. So I guess an AI could definitely learn it. But um, I don't think I would do it because it's also kind of a mental thing. Like I also have this mental list uh, going on and I try to uh, stay up to date and sort of have my calendar mm. proper the paper it, calendar that I carry with me because I'm that person. It needs yeah. to know a lot. The yeah. AI, so in order to do to be able to do that, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then I'm also afraid that I might forget because, of course, you make uh, uh, yeah you you agree on things in certain emails and then you have to set up meetings and I don't know things have to uh, somehow combine in the right way and I'm always afraid that if I would outsource that that things will start to overlap like crazy and that I don't know six meetings get planned in one day and I get overwhelmed and <laughs> yeah so you still have a paper calendar right? I have a paper calendar yes that's an interesting I mean I would assume you as a technical person uh, would uh, or are you more of a hardware person I am very much a hardware person as yeah. well uh, and I've always carried a 
paper calendar and I also, also carry a notebook with me most of the time because I really love to just make sketches or strange notes or I combine uh, the writing with some tiny drawings that I make and uh, yeah I don't really like drawing on screens or tablets or mm. that yeah. so my paper calendar uh, is also like a notebook because I have the the calendar which has the week thing on the left side and then some uh, space for notes on the right so yeah I use it a lot for that and to-do lists I love paper to-do lists no I had a paper calendar uh in the media lab like a few years ago but then it's um, I mean I don't know why I was this like oh, I don't want to have this uh, uh phone calendar but then I started just okay I'm gonna try it and it's so convenient I can imagine <laughs> I just yeah I really appreciate the note space and uh yeah but the... there is something very soothing about having a yeah, yeah. I writing make, yeah. notes in, in paper. I also make notes on my phone, but yeah, the, the little drawings and sketches and I don't know, sometimes I get an idea when I'm on the road and then I just draw it in my calendar. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you sustain your practice? Financially, financially? or how, yeah. uh, how do you mean? Um, it's a, a weird balance that has somehow worked out. So um, how it has been since I graduated in 2017 is that I work sometimes with uh, projects or assignments so I do some things for theater and sometimes I do this soundtrack thing and I get paid for that and then I uh, uh, have some uh, grants every once in a while uh, and it has been kind of that I got uh, maybe one year I got a grant and then the year after I've mainly had assignments and then uh, the year after I, I received some kind of other grant either like an artist grant or a project grant uh, so it's sort of been like yeah moving back and forth between assignments and yeah receiving some funding yeah yeah it's a, it's a fine balance how to, yeah how to do things yeah i have no idea if it can stay like that and i i'm not sure if i'd want that because it's a very uh um unpredictable uh it could be pretty thing. stressful yeah, it's yeah. quite stressful, um, but so far it's been pretty good. So I, I'm going to enjoy it while it works, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed. It yeah. keeps working. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Like it could just uh, continue, like getting some funding and then getting some assignments and then. Yeah. So how does your process go? I mean, you come to the studio in the morning um, and then what do you, how do you get into the I'm mostly an afternoon worker, uh, so what I usually do is uh, at home I uh, first uh, check my messages and emails and uh, uh, yeah try to get most of the administration and uh, yeah emails that I have to answer out of the way and then I go to the studio um, and then depending kind of on what I'm working on at that time I either do some audio work or woodwork or some computer work. I try to uh, be nice to my studio uh, neighbors, so I uh, sort of confine my very noisy work to the evenings when most of them are not there. And then during the day I uh, make preparations or I measure things and then, yeah. And also depending if I have the dog with me or not, because that also influences my work a lot. <laughs> yes, you have a dog, Hirakoira. Yeah, so yeah, since a year, uh, We've had a dog and of course like that takes a bit more planning so uh, if she's with me in the studio i try not to do too much noisy work uh or i try not to do too much power tool work because it's not that safe because she might get curious mm. and also uh, dogs have sensitive ears so i don't want to bother her too much with very loud uh power tool noises 
so yeah, when she's there, I, I work mainly on computer things or preparations of things. Uh, and then when I, uh, when she's not here, I do my woodwork and my loud stuff. And then, uh, yeah, it's also combined because I, uh, every once in a while I make music together with other people. So like once a week, approximately, like I, have kind of a jam session in my studio, which is also kind of important uh, part of the practice at the moment, like the using the self-made tools and instruments and uh, yeah, composition ideas in uh, jam sessions and live music things. Did you start making instruments from the beginning, or was it first some sort of uh, object and then turned into instruments? Uh, or did you go towards the music? It it has been a bit of both. Uh, I have made music uh, for a long time already. Like I uh, used to play the clarinet and I was singing in bands and played a tiny bit of piano. Uh, and then I started um, art school and then the music got a bit to the background, even though the program was both sound and art related. Uh, but somehow I felt that I had to focus on the art part more but slowly it was sort of creeping in. So the works that I've been making, they did include some kind of sound because I was making these kind of instruments that were playing themselves. And then I also started building some instruments that I had to play and then played with amplifying certain mechanical processes. Uh, and then at some point it turned into, yeah, more instrument design for actual music making because I guess I started missing the, uh, the actual music part. So. I, yeah, it just came back. There's something very satisfying about making music. It's sort of, sort of an outlet for uh, ideas and frustrations. And uh, yeah, you can put a lot of uh, yeah, things into the music making, which are not always so easy to put into this technical art because the technical art takes a lot of planning and there's uh, only a very limited space for sort of this spontaneous action. And within music, you can have a lot more of this spontaneous uh, ideas and maybe emotions and things like that, I feel. So you balance things out? Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> between the hard material and the Yeah, between the, the, the sound. thoroughly planned technical stuff that has to function and then the, the musical stuff where you can sort of more freely experiment and do crazy things. Yeah, no, I've noticed also in my work that I have the need to balance the, 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 the digital stuff with the physical stuff yeah somehow it's not like you do one some of the one side and then you feel like you lack the other so you have to yeah. do that too yeah you have to sort of find a way where the different ideas can yeah end up or how you can process these different parts of a practice or yeah have you ever had the, the creative block well there's always this moment after you've had a big exhibition that you're sort of need to rethink need to rethink things like where You've just did a huge amount of work, uh, probably had quite a bit of stress to get things done. And then it's been in this exhibition or you've presented the thing. And then afterwards you're like, okay, so what's next? And what am I doing with my life? And what am I actually creating? And I just finished this thing and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've had some moments where I was sort of not entirely sure what I was doing or what was next. How do but you overcome them, those? I try to give it some time. Because that probably means that maybe I've overdone it a bit before that. Like mm. you work yourself into a, a burnout because you have just, yeah, not given yourself any time to rest. 
so time usually helps and then yeah letting letting go of the pressure really helps so I, I really enjoy crafting things as well so then I try to not really focus so much on the art side but then sometimes just making something for the sake of making something or I don't know learning a new skill or trying out a different technique has really helped for me just learning something new with my hands so things get through your hands yeah yeah <laughs> no, well you get moving and then when your hands are moving slowly your brain starts moving again as well or you see mm. a certain technique and then because you learn something new then you think of something that you could do with that and yeah that's really been beneficial when I'm stuck what would you say are your favorite tools uh tools like to help me get out of getting stuck or um, tools in general well my woodworking tools like I uh, I have invested in some new soles and things in the past few years so I, I really enjoy like getting the the cuts nice and clean and sort of getting the angles right and making things in complicated angles and calculating how everything fits together uh is really nice. Uh, I have some audio equipment that is just really fun to play around with, uh, but it took some time to sort of get used to it. So that was also kind of a learning process. I'm looking at the table now where they're standing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have done quite a bit of uh, uh, crochet, like the fiber arts, like just to make hats and gloves for myself. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to keep your hands busy. I find it very kind of meditative when you're working with your hands and sort of seeing slowly this piece of fabric appear. That's helped sometimes. Yeah, figuring out some new audio software or some editing software. Yeah. So you constantly keep updating your knowledge and... I try, yeah. Now. Yeah, especially within these tech things because for the electronic side, I've been working for many years with Arduino, but now that I want to get some more advanced uh, audio processing done within uh, the installations, I started moving away from Arduino and learning to work more with uh, Raspberry Pis. And I'm now also going to get into the Bela, which is this other microcontroller, more sound focused. Uh, so you have to sort of yeah, keep up to date because especially within the microcontroller field, new things keep on getting developed and some things that were maybe very high tech only a couple of years ago are now kind of outdated and you can do way more advanced things in easier ways with some newer piece of tech. So you have to keep trying and updating your skills. The digital electronics can be a bit of a pain every once in a while because it's not just the physical part that you have to uh, get to work, but you also need to do the programming part. And then uh, the physical part is usually you have to learn the basics once and you can reapply that in many different places the programming can take a bit more effort to get it yeah uh, to transfer <laughs> to a different platform because yeah they are not always so comparable <laughs> but yeah once you've learned certain things then you will get an easier entrance into the rest but it takes a bit more time and effort to get to the advanced stuff yeah yeah i, I guess when when you pass that initial wall yeah it's not that yeah, but it's very Impossible. satisfying once you get it to work. That's uh, that's what keeps me going, I guess. You yeah, yeah. You you spend hours and hours trying to figure it out, and you know, pull your hairs, and yeah, and then eventually it works, of course. Yeah. Yes, and then you have this moment like, oh wow, I actually managed to fix this. You hear and the it angel, works. angel choir in the background yes. and all that. <laughs> and then you're you have to hope that it keeps working because if it's in, a, in an exhibition for a month, it might work for the first week, and then suddenly something changes. 
or I don't know, like something that you didn't think about happens and then you have to redo your whole system. Oh, God. <laughs> has that happened a lot? I usually try to finish the work uh, a couple of weeks before the deadline. Well, that's my aim, at least. doesn't always work with the, uh, the chairs that I just finished for the previous exhibition. Um, I uh, uh, had to use a lot of new techniques that I hadn't really worked with before, and I ran into way more technical problems than I had hoped. Uh, so I finished them much later uh, during the process. I didn't really have time to thoroughly test it. And then what happened is two of them have worked perfectly all the time, but one of them sometimes just the startup sequence wasn't fully functional or something. And then you had to unplug it and replug it a couple of times before it got to work, which is silly because they are supposed to be the same, all three of them. Like the system is the same, the programming is the same. The only difference is one of them uses a different SD card that runs the system. And uh, yeah, there are some different samples loaded in. So I have not completely figured out yet why that one is having those issues. I'm still working on that. Uh, but yeah, those things happen. Like sometimes you think you have something very thoroughly figured out, but if you don't take the time to test it for a, an extended uh, yeah, time frame, then unexpected things happen and it might not always be so obvious why it doesn't work. The fun of working with tech. <laughs> Yes, and all the cables and the... Oh yeah, the cables, yeah. That are surprisingly expensive. Cables are, uh, yeah, they're not cheap. Like sometimes you need to have, I don't know, like a huge amount of wiring done and then you think like, oh yeah, that's the last thing that I'll do and it'll probably fit in the budget and it's always more expensive than I expect. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I haven't really dealt with cables enough <laughs> <laughs> to, to figure these things out. Do you have some specific themes that you work around or is it more important the, 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 the shape and functionality of the object? Uh, depends. The last few years I've worked a lot with, uh, I guess, the, the interactions that we as humans have with technology and how, uh, how some interactions are very intuitive for us because we are used to certain designs uh, that need to be used in a certain way or uh, if you have a, um, yeah, like a piece of equipment with a, a handle, like a, a drill, like you kind of intuitively know where to grab it, what to push, uh, how to use certain things. And uh, I find it very interesting to sort of play with that. So what if you have a device that you've never seen before, but it uses some of these design aesthetics that we're so used to, uh, can we then uh, create a kind of interaction with something that we don't know that still feels very intuitive? Um, so I play a lot with uh, interface design and uh, yeah, this sort of intuitive interaction that we can then have with things that are new and unknown to us. Uh, so I play with that in different ways. During the, uh, my latest work, I've sort of added a layer of uh, uh, agency on it. So I try to sort of give the object uh, that we are using a sense of agency within the interaction. So for example, the chairs were uh, detecting whether you were sitting on them or not. And then uh, they would give these sort of uh, short comments on what they would want you to do. So when you were not sitting, they would ask you to come closer, go away, uh, sit down. And then when you would be sitting, they would ask like uh, if you're comfortable, um, stand up. Yeah, those kind of things. Um, 
And then as a user, you could change the interface, uh, like turn some knobs and uh, switch a switch. And you could sort of influence how the chair was communicating with you. So uh, you could sort of choose whether you would understand what the chair were saying, uh, was saying or whether it would turn into this kind of granular background noise, kind of more of an abstract sound thing. So it would always communicate with you. It's just that you could influence whether you'd understand it or not. And I find that kind of an interesting idea. Um, like what if our objects that we use and sort of we take their use very much uh, for granted, like a chair is just something you see it, you sit in it, you don't really think about it. But what if that chair would actually say something about that? Um, how would you then interact with, with this object and how, uh, what would that mean sort of for their functionality and our interaction with them? So it's kind of a weird thought experiment. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so the, the chair kind of has a, a character, but it adjusts to you still. It's not like it's all. Uh, yeah, it's this kind of game that you can play with it. Like the, the chair has their own character and, and agency in that, but then uh, we still have the, the choice whether we want to understand it or not, or whether we want to listen to it or not. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's like a, a twisted type of game that we can play with. Uh, objects that don't really have so much control over how they are being used. Mm. Objectify the object. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, I've been playing with that. So the combination of interface design and then this like agency and objects and uh, yeah, how we interact with things. Do you read about a lot uh, on the generally theories about interaction design and in, uh, in this case? I I do like I should probably read more about it, but I I yeah I try to gather. It's the not all intuitive, knowledge. like no, it's and... not all intuitive. Yeah. Like a lot of it is intuitive, but I do always also try to uh, refer to the existing theory on things because a lot of research has been done on these kind of things. So it you know, yeah, you would don't be need... silly to not. You, you don't need to uh, reinvent the hot water. No, no. <laughs> do you go to exhibitions a lot um, to see other people's work? I should go more. I uh, I try to go, but I uh, I feel like I uh, I'm not going enough because yeah, it's always nice to see how people uh, frame things, especially because if you see an image of a work, then uh, you can experience some of the work. But if it's in a place and sort of put together with other things, then it becomes something completely different sometimes. So this framing I find very interesting about the the exhibition or sort of the the experience of how you move from one work to the other sort of adds a lot of... Yeah, and sometimes yeah. half the meaning is there Yeah, yeah. in that. So then uh, what would be your places in, in the city where you usually find good stuff? Uh, yeah, <laughs> good question. Depends. I, uh, uh, I try to go to exhibitions of friends a lot or people that I know are sort of extended network uh, because then you... Uh, yeah, have some kind of context, I guess, of what you're going to see. Um, and also, I really like to stay up to date on what my uh, uh, friends and colleagues are doing. But yeah, like more specific places. I I like the work they've been doing at Mumala Cox. They have a very varied uh, program, which also includes quite a lot of sound and uh, more tech perspectives also on things, uh, which I appreciate. Oxas and Kato has uh, uh, a lot of nice exhibitions. I recently also exhibited there, so that's a... <laughs> no, but I, I really appreciate because it's also an artist-run yeah, yeah. uh, collective uh, gallery, uh, which functions a bit more independently. So they take some adventure, uh, adventurous 
exhibitions on. Yeah, I, I uh, usually enjoy these sort of artist-run uh, exhibitions mm. because you, yeah, you can see kind of a uh, this more independent outlook on uh, their exhibition design and their choices in the things. So it sounds also like the the, the, the community around you is kind of important to you. So you uh, go to friends' exhibitions and support them and all that. Yeah, yeah, I do feel that's important because they uh, they are kind of the the framework in which you function. I think mm. uh, because otherwise I'd just be on my own in my studio uh, reiterating my own thoughts, and I really appreciate it that uh, yeah, there's sort of a wider community of people that you can exchange thoughts with and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With. Good to mention maybe that there are other artist studios around here. Yeah. You are what the two floors? Yes. Uh, I'm part of uh, Grey Gardens, as we've called it. It's a. Uh, it basically started as a group of artists that needed a, a workspace. I wasn't within the founding members, I guess, but I was kind of the first generation to join. What we've did done is basically we collected. 15 people and then we rented one floor of an office building uh, in Itapasila first. So everybody had their own little office space and then we had a common kitchen and a, a common room. And then at some point we needed to move out from that building because uh, it was going to be redeveloped. I think it's still empty though. Like it's been a year and a half since we moved out and nothing really seems to have happened. But then we uh, decided to rent another space together again. So now we're 20 artists because the uh, yeah the place that we found had more rooms. So we gathered some more people. So now we're 20 artists on two floors in Merihaka. So yeah, we that, That's why you kitchens. call it Grey Gardens. Yeah, you know? well, <laughs> <laughs> you look out and it's grey. <laughs> yeah, it seems we are um, moving from uh, 70s utopia to 70s utopia. It's like uh, concrete uh, office blocks that <laughs> we seem to be occupying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. th there is a style in those too. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, uh, they're available and they're uh, relatively affordable and they have the, the, the right kind of layout because lots of these 70s office buildings, they have these like small, uh, yeah. uh, small offices with doors and we are all mostly artists that just have their own office uh, sort of yeah where we do our own stuff it's not not a lot of shared work there so yeah so you don't collaborate too much for uh, the actual pieces that you make we there are some collaborations and we also organize some exhibitions together uh, as you recently group. had one yeah yes we had one in Galleria Longa uh, with I think 15 of us so everybody contributed a small work and we came up with a theme and then, uh, yeah, we sort of made it work in the space, which was nice. And we're going to have another one in uh, Asbestos uh, art space when? with end of April. Oh, so and, it's yeah, uh, soon, very two weeks. Soon. Two weeks, I think. In two okay, weeks. when does it open? Let's put a shout out for that. Yes, I will have to check the exact date, but it opens on... I can write it later also, if you... Yes, I should get my paper calendar here to <laughs> the exact date. No, I think it opens on Wednesday 26th, if I'm correct. Mm. But let's check it, yeah. And it's going to be there for how long, more uh, or less? Uh, ten, days. 10 days, a week, a week, I think. Like 10 days includes the installation, so okay. it's a week. And we're going to do quite a lot of events. Um, so there's going to be a film, a movie night and a 
Uh, I'm going to perform uh, together with uh, Marco, who's another member of the studio. He's a writer. Uh, so we've done this once before where he's reading from his uh, uh, short stories and then I do a soundscape behind it. And now we've extended it because he also makes music that we're also going to do like a musical component to it. So there are quite some collaborations yeah, actually yeah. happening as well, also between other members of the studio. So I do feel it's quite valuable to have this community, even though everybody works with very different media and has very different work styles. I'm here a lot in the evenings and then other people are here more in the mornings and you don't often see each other sometimes. Uh, but when you're 20, there's always somebody to there's see. There's always someone, yes. Yeah, and then you meet each other in the kitchen sometimes and sometimes I hide in my studio when I don't want to meet people in the kitchen. <laughs> and then, yeah, you find your, uh, your balance between that. So you store all of your art here? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have quite a big studio now. When we moved from uh, Itapasila to here, I uh, got one of the bigger rooms because everybody wanted to have a small room and I had uh, enough budget that I could pay for a bigger one. And I thought, let's see how it goes. <laughs> and now I got quite attached to the amount of space that I have. Uh, so yeah, I store everything here as well. I mean, if you now started doing chairs and uh, tables yeah. and uh, benches, <laughs> You need the space. I do, yeah. Well, I really noticed that the amount of space that I have uh, influences the size of the work that I make a lot. Because, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Within the 13 square meters that I had before, I would make much smaller things because I would store them there and I would make them there and there would just not be enough space to really go bigger. And Yeah, probably have, even unconsciously, yeah. you know, you know that you you cannot do bigger in yeah. a very, very small room. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah practical reasons mm. even though you how, how big to. is this one 25 and a half mm. approximately and it's a nice weird shape which yeah we went to look at the this building about a year ago before we moved in and i kind of fell in love with this room because it's not rectangular it has this weird angular yeah it's set up <laughs> it's like a triangle with uh, some extensions yeah yeah like a long rectangle with some tri triangle bit attached to it what's the importance i mean you do all of your work basically here so you yeah cannot do without a studio no <laughs> i uh have worked from home at some point but lots of the work i do is messy or soldering is quite smelly and i really need to separate yeah, and then my the home wood, from my work woodwork comes with a lot of dust yeah yeah how do you uh, deal with the dust i uh recently got one of those nice uh, workshop uh, vacuums so I uh, <laughs> oh <laughs> well it doesn't fit on all my tools but the the bigger tools uh, I can just attach the vacuum to and that saves so much uh, yeah dust I've used a couple of times those they are like a yeah. luxury yeah item <laughs> to just well it's both it... luxury but it's also necessary because it's also not that healthy to be in the dust all the time oh, for sure I, for sure yeah, yeah I have yeah. a lot of audio equipment no I'm saying, well. I'm saying yeah. luxury because it's rather big no, no, the one I have is quite small. It's just like small box huh. uh, design. Okay. Yeah. They have smaller ones as well. But yeah, well, that's been really worth it. Researched. Yeah, I've seen only big ones. But yeah. Yeah, 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 those are the most common ones. Yeah. No, so I, I do everything here. I have the, the screen set up behind us. So I kind of separate my dirty working area from the clean one. And the screens are kind of flexible. So when I do a lot of woodwork, I uh, extend the workshop space yeah uh, and then if i do more audio work then that gets a bit smaller and sort of i change things around quite a lot 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. It really depends what you do in the in the very moment. Yeah, yeah but my dream setup was always kind of like having the wood workshop area and then have the electronics area and then have the audio and computer work area somehow. So like a personal fab lab thing. Yeah, like a kind <laughs> of like different stations within a room. I sort of have that now, so I'm I'm very satisfied with the setup. <laughs> nice. Mm, do you have some artists that you draw like inspiration from or uh, whose work you like and follow? Um, I always find that a very complicated question because uh, I start to overanalyze when people ask me these questions. But there are some uh, people that I uh, really appreciate. There's this, um, now I have to pronounce their names right, of course. There's this uh, uh, Eric Brando, I think he's called. Uh, it's uh, an artist who makes these sort of electronic sculpture, electronic sound sculptures. Um, um, yeah, with uh, some plexiglass panels and sort of uh, lots of analog electronics with uh, exposed soldering and like very neatly designed things. I really appreciate his work. It's kind of like uh, the work of uh, uh, Peter Vogel, also one of those kind of uh, electronic uh, circuit sculpture people. Uh, and I, I really appreciate the engineering part in their work because they use the uh, technical components also as the aesthetics of the piece, which I appreciate. Um, and then there's um, a Swedish artist called uh, Lova Hulten. He makes these um, kind of, yeah, redesigns of synthesizers and such. So he has some works where he also designed the, the electronics uh, or the tech part of the synths themselves, but he's mainly a, a woodworker uh, and makes these like really fancy uh, boxes and like sculptural pieces out of synthesizers. Uh, and the, the craftsmanship that goes in there, I find it really satisfying to watch. And then I have some some friends that I really appreciate their work. Like somehow I, uh, I always come back to the people that are close to me because there are some people that are just like, yeah, I, they're sort of the, the people I know and they have their the sort of achievable goals within uh, their work. So like they're close to you, but you can also like look up to them. <laughs> well, that's the ideal. Yeah. And uh, and of course, when they're your friends, you know their work better and you can yeah. probably even appreciate it better yeah. when you know it more in detail. Yeah. What would be some other places of inspiration, like uh, books or movies or music or something? Um, yeah. That might affect your work and yeah, I have just like... I have some books that I uh, that I like to keep around. Um, they're not really like hardcore literature on the pe on the on my work, but the, there's this this book push turn move that I found very inspirational because it's basically like a let's find a nice page. It's very much about interface design of different uh, uh, synthesizers and such, and sort of what kind of uh, um, yeah, considerations people have been making also uh, historically through uh, interface design and synthesizer, synthesizer design and it really kind of yeah communicates like when people have used knobs and when people have used more digital interfaces and sort of what the um, yeah what the differences is uh, yeah what differences that makes for playability and things like that I find that very interesting to read and also to see because it's a nice overview with colorful buttons and nice pictures and 
yeah, lots of interfaces. Uh, so yeah, this one I've enjoyed a lot. I can put them to the side somewhere. Yeah. This was a, a present that I got at some point. Things come apart. Uh, kind of like a nice coffee table book as well. But it's uh, these very like nice aesthetic pictures of uh -huh. different yeah, equipment pieces. Different objects. Yeah, different objects disassembled. I love uh, those things. Oh. With yeah, like all the parts neatly laid out. <laughs> like I love this book. It's so nice to just like go through the pages and see what you find. Like when I, when I was in the media lab, I uh, like it became almost like a hobby to to uh, take old screens from somewhere and take them apart. Yes, yeah, so I've always enjoyed like seeing what's inside things. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I started to build functional, like semi-functioning objects, because yeah, I wanted to know what was inside it and what made made it work. So what better than have mm. a book full of pictures of what's inside things? So like <laughs> yeah, you miss the satisfying part of unscrewing things, but. Yeah, then again, you can see the insides of a whole lot more uh, than what you maybe have available to take apart. <laughs> so yeah, this is a nice one. I really <laughs> like this book. And then I have some, like, these are uh, two practical books that I, especially in the beginning, I built a lot of circuits from this uh, to sort of learn about electronics as well. So. This was one that I started with, Handmade Electronic Music by Nicholas Collins. It's a very well-known book for the electronics uh, people <laughs> around. Uh, so yeah, it, it describes all kinds of circuits and things that you can build, like relatively simple oscillators. And uh, it explains things in a very accessible way, I found. So this a lot is, of notes coming out Yes, there's lots of well. notes and things that <laughs> I've enjoyed about this. And then this was a... Yeah, also has some notes. This is a engineer's notebook by Forrest Mims. And uh, I especially appreciate the hand-drawn schematics that are uh, that are in here. I've also played with these ideas, like what if a, a schematic or technical documentation of the pieces that I make are also part of sort of a, the visual presentation of things. And there, but these are actually also very it's not only the schematics, it's the whole text. Yeah, it's all the whole text. <laughs> Everything is handwritten, hand drawn. Um, but it's very like accessible stuff to build uh, and very handy as well. Like, I work a lot with digital electronics myself, but this is sort of the, the layer um, that is inside many of your, uh, uh, yeah, many of the, the things that you need. So this kind of explains the the mechanisms that go behind uh, mm. a lot of things. So I've built a lot of stuff from this as well. Very interesting. Yeah, so those are some some favorites. Uh, and yes, music as well. Like I uh, I follow, like I, I go through SoundCloud and like listen to a lot of random things like often i only listen to one track from a certain artist because i i found it somewhere and on some platform and then it goes into my personal playlist of things that i play on repeat uh, but i really love sort of these um uh, songs or compositions that have all these different layers that interconnect and then sort of communicate with each other and then move apart from each other again and then interconnect again uh, so it's not necessarily one specific artist but they're just like some of these songs that live mm. in my head just because 
they have like a certain textural element that I really appreciate. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so the chairs, they detect when you're sitting or not, because there's a light sensor in the um, seat. And then they, yeah, play these different samples. And when you're not sitting, they kind of try to lure you to come towards them and to interact with them. Um, so yeah, this one is actually now um, not screwed closed because I'm doing some gentle maintenance. <laughs> So we can actually show the inside. So it's a Raspberry Pi and a, an audio interface, which is actually not connected. So no wonder it's not making sound. <laughs> and then uh, I have these three power plugs there because I thought I would need more power, but I only needed one. Uh, and then all the way on the right, there's the this analog to digital converter so that I can use the knobs together with the Raspberry Pi. And then yeah, on the back side, there's a speaker and a tiny amplifier and Lots of cables. It's a scale model of the design because before I built it, I wanted to check the scale of the thing so that all the sizes sort of made sense together and in peace. Okay, so yeah, these are uh, inspired by uh, phone interfaces over time. So you had the rotary phone, um, then this is the this sort of monochrome screen phone where you still had the uh, button to pick up. Yeah, kind of, yeah, and then you had the button the green button to pick up a call and the red button to uh, like hang up again. And then um, some companies started experimenting with these kind of, um, yeah, these sort of navigation buttons at the top. So you had this like, uh, yeah, this sort of Sony oh, Ericsson, there, for there, example, there had this like little pokey. Yeah, this like, left, right. yeah. So that, yeah, this one is inspired by that. So you have kind of two different colors of white color screen got introduced um so yeah then there's that one and then the last one is the smartphone so it doesn't actually have a touch screen but it has sort of a representation for all these colorful uh app icons and then some lights in between mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a, a design exercise where i wanted to make these wall mounted panels that people could then interact with and touch buttons and then you'd get this like tiny little animation yeah it was part of that exhibition actually last year this might be a candidate for some uh, product design sometime in the future it's a midi controller uh, so this was controlling visuals this is another thing that i'm working on now so this is going to be a, a kind of like a the television egg uh thing ah, so this is the front with a screen and then this is going to be like a, the side panel so i use this very thin wood to sort of make the make the curved shape on the side but yeah this is this is where i do my woodwork right maybe that's it maybe <laughs> that's it thanks a lot yeah thank you <laughs>